Welcome everyone. Nice to see everyone here tonight. Just a couple of housekeeping things. Um, we do have now a, a Sunday morning program, so if you'd like a, a less crowded experience, join us at Sunday morning at 10.30, and then we have a reception after that Sunday morning program. It's pretty much the same. The sit's a little shorter, the talk's a little shorter, there's chanting that we don't do on the evening programs, and like I mentioned, there's a reception at the end of that. So it's also drop-in, and just so you know, I, although the talks are quite different, the theme is basically the same. It begins Sunday morning, and then repeated Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening. So um, if you came, you know, this morning, <laughs> it may seem the same, who knows? And then just another uh, small thing, one of the nice things about moving to this location is all of our cars don't bother neighbors so much, but we do have a few neighbors uh, just to the east of here. So tr there's a lot of street parking that's not going to bother anybody. So try not to park in front of people's homes just to the east of us here. Uh, just park somewhere where you're in front of a business. That would be nice. So I'm finishing up this week on a series of talks I've been giving, given, uh, giving for almost three months now using a format that Ajahn Sumedho offered where we're training in these five ways, both in our daily life and our sitting practice. So one last time I'll review them. So we need to uh, understand the great value, actually to have confidence that we can change the orientation of the mind. So instead of beating ourselves up when we get caught up in some self-centered drama, which I'm sure it's true for you like it is for me, this happens all the time. So instead of feeling badly that we're once again caught in fear or caught in neediness or in some afflictive state, we can, uh, with whatever confidence we have, we can do something to change the channel. And maybe you noticed it tonight, maybe not, but something as simple, this is a traditional reflection that we did tonight, sending out metta, loving kindness to all beings, all living beings, all breathing beings, all creatures, all those in, in existence, right? It's just different ways of saying everybody, all things. And just to do this formulaic reflection, you know, which you could spend the whole five minutes thinking about how superficial it is or how silly it is, but if we just give our heart to it, you'll see probably, maybe not the first time, that very shortly you'll see it actually has an effect on the mind. And maybe you notice that tonight. Something as simple as just bringing to mind as best you can, it's not about being perfect, it's just as best you can bringing to mind all beings and then generating a simple wish, may you be safe. Just as I want to be happy, may you be happy. May you be free from pain, may you have good health, may you live at ease in the world. So there are many ways to um, support this flipping, you know, from self-centered activity to some kind of release from our self-centered dramas. And it's such a relief if this is all we did, if we just forgot about the other four parts of practice, and all we did is got really devoted to flipping the mind every time we're in a self-centered place, in, in one way or another, flipping it. So if we're sort of obsessing about what we want, and we take a minute or two and we reflect, well, in my case, in a few days I'll be 51, you know, here I am obsessing about this, it's not going to last long. You know, whatever it is, it's impermanent. It comes and goes. It's limited. And then just reflecting in that way can undermine that drama of desire. That if only I get this, then I'll be happy forever. We imagine that it's going to take care of us forever. If only I could get home, you know, and watch my favorite TV program or get to bed. It's as if Monday morning doesn't exist when we think about that. But of course it does exist. You know, the happiness we get from whatever we imagine is almost always a temporary happiness. 
So this is the first part of practice, is to rally some confidence that we don't have to be helpless with our, our self-centered and afflictive <coughs> states of mind. We can actually reorient the mind. And we need to develop confidence and skill that that's possible. Once we've done that, then the, the next part of practice is with that relative freedom, not so caught up in self, we practice doing something very simple, which is opening to the present moment. Can I take this mind, this capacity to pay attention, and can I pay attention to things just as they are? With a wholeheartedness. Now, it's not easy. It's like developing a muscle, training in being open to what's present, to what's ordinary, to what's here and now. And learning not to believe all the thoughts that are telling us there's got to be something more important to do than watching the breath, being present with the breath, sitting with the body sensation, sitting with the pain in the body. And it's this uh, willingness to begin again and willingness to be devoted to something ordinary, something simple. You know, we're really addicted to complexity and things with charges. And so to be just with the body, the ordinariness of sensation in the body, the ordinariness of sitting, of breathing, of thoughts coming and going, it just doesn't seem like uh, it's going to help. So we dismiss it. Of course, we've never done it enough to know whether it does any good. So we're training, that this is a real training, this commitment to the ordinary present moment. All of our idealism about spirituality, we have to kind of call that bluff, that somehow we're going to miss our train to enlightenment by just being with the body. Because it seems so much more jazzy to think about enlightenment, to think about getting concentrated, to think about, you know, whatever, we, like our next retreat even. Think about how many times, those of us who practice for a while, how many times have we, in our sitting meditation, spent time thinking about getting really good at sitting meditation? <laughs> it's like the great, great irony in spiritual life is how much time we spend in our spiritual practice thinking about spiritual practice, which is not the same as spiritual practice. So that's the second part. The third part is when dramas do arise. So now there's some composure when the drama arises. We're not lost like we were at the beginning because we reoriented the mind. So then when distraction arises, some painful memory, some fantasy, some irritation, then it can arise and we have the, the wherewithal not to indulge, not to proliferate around the distraction and not to want to destroy it or get rid of it. And this is a, this great place of wisdom, like learning a different way of relating with our personality, with our conditioned habits. Without wisdom, we're much like a robot. When we have an image, when we have a thought, when we have an emotion, there's just this conditioned response. And in a sense, there's really no choice because we don't recognize it as a conditioned response. It, it feels so personal, so we just take it into action. We just act it out, whatever the impulse or compulsion is. But when we're in this third part of practice, so there's some composure in the mind, we see the distraction maybe immediately or maybe a few seconds after it's arisen in the mind. But in any case, we see it, we relax with it, and we feel uh, both the compulsion to destroy it, like, oh, I don't want to be the person who's having this despicable thought. You know, I'm supposed to have a quiet mind. You know, and then we want to cover it up or deny or distract. Or we get en enchanted by it. And so it's learning how to be in that middle place. And we talked about it this morning in terms of the icy couch. Like, can we hang out in that place where, like it or not, we are being pulled our chain is getting jerked. You know, we got these great metaphors or phrases that we use. We all know what they mean. We know what this feels like to be pulled around by life. The image I like is 
the big ox, oxen, you know, water buffalo, where they got the ring in their nose, and you tie a rope, and a little boy or a little girl can lead the huge beast around, make it do whatever, you know, plow the fields or do this or that, because the, the oxen doesn't want to feel the tug. So when the rope tugs this way, it just goes that way. And we're a little bit like this with all these habits, these afflictive habits. When they tug this way, we just go that way. And they go this way, we just go that way. And we're, we're enslaved by our conditioning. So this middle ground is we realize that proliferating around our afflictive mental habits, hating them, both of those are just more of the same. And so we're willing to sit here in the middle, so to speak, being tugged, being pu pushed and pulled, but, but uh, in a sense, we're, we're trusting this middle ground, like letting the compulsions be what they are, letting the pushing and pulling be, but training and being porous or transparent. So we get pushed. At first, it really feels like we're being pushed that we practice being steady and eventually we realize that there is a pushing but it doesn't it doesn't have to land anywhere there are compulsions inclinations in the mind but we don't have to take them personally and that's the middle part of practice we reorient the mind we train an effort wholehearted opening to the present moment and then we bring the composure we get from these two things to notice the habits of uh, self-centered activity. You know, all the different ways our personality, our ego manifests, all the different reactive patterns. And when they arise, when those reactive patterns arise, we practice staying in the middle, not indulging in them, but not fearing them, not feeling like we have to destroy them, or that they're somehow wrong to be having that thought, to be having that emotion. So we give permission, we're including them, but not acting them out. When we do that well enough, we start having glimpses or insights into the nature of the mind, the impersonal and conditioned nature of the mind or the emptiness of the mind. So it's a, you know, we talk about it in terms of words, but the experience is an experience of groundlessness. So we live normally as a conditioned uh, conventional human being we live very much with a sense of ground this ground is something we're constructing all the time a sense of self a sense of me here a sense of a center to me here but when we do the practice well we have insight it's like that ground disappears for a moment just a moment and there's a sense of space or a sense of fluidity sense of emptiness and emptiness of center or another way of talking about these glimpses is a, a sense of wholeness completeness okayness no problems and it's not this sort of glossy idealistic you know the world's a perfect place kind of okayness it's a, a clarity understanding things are this way and it's still okay that it can be trusted. It's something to open to. So these glimpses are transforming. They begin to chip away at the momentum of living from the self-centered point of view, taking things personally, having constructing a sense of center, a sense of ground, just like we all have to some degree right now. Right? Don't we all have a sense of a somebody here? And in a way, it's like the old uh, way the astronomers thought of things, that everything orbited the Earth. You know, that's how we live, isn't it? It's like this thing happening at common ground, it's somehow orbiting me right now. It's like happening to me. Common ground is happening to me. This life is happening to me. Minneapolis is happening to me. This time, you know, 2009 is happening to me. This early spring is happening to me. Isn't it amazing? I mean, we know intellectually, at least, that spring isn't happening to me. But doesn't it feel that way? You know, this is like it's happening to me this spring. And these emotions are happening to me, and these thoughts are happening to me. 
and this body is happening to me we impute a center over and over again it's not like we do it once we have to do this heavy lifting moment after moment it's exhausting that's why so often we feel heavy or oppressed in life is because we are doing this big extra thing and so this glimpse that I'm talking about this insight is an insight into uh, into the absence of center so it makes all this self-centered activity not make sense and it's such a relief in that moment until we forget it's such a relief to recognize that it's already okay all the self-centered you know all this way that we massage the facts so it feels like it's happening to me it's so exhausting all of that's unnecessary it feels like such relief we can just let the world happen there's a beautiful Dharma poem uh, in the Tibetan tradition there's this part of <clears throat> when your mind is when your heart is clear your mind is clear to write a poem kind of an, an enlightenment poem or a spontaneous Vajra song it's called and this is from Venerable Lama Gendam Rinpoche <clears throat> happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower but is already present in the open relaxation and letting go don't strain yourself there is nothing to do nor undo whatever momentary arises in the body mind has no real importance at all has little reality whatsoever why identify with and become attached to it passing judgment upon it and ourselves far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own springing up and falling back like waves without changing or manipulating anything and notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically again and again time without end only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it it's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching or a dog chasing its own tail although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place it is always available and accompanies you every instant don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences they are like today's ephemeral weather like rainbows in the sky wanting to grasp the ungraspable you exhaust yourself in vain as soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping infinite space is there open inviting and comfortable make use of this spaciousness this freedom and natural ease don't search any further don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own heart nothing to do or undo nothing to force nothing to want and nothing missing Emaho, marvelous everything happens by itself So if anybody feels like writing a spontaneous Vajra song sometime this week, you can send it to me via email. I'd love to read it. The reason I, I wanted to read that is this last part of practice that I've been talking about the last few weeks is really about learning to trust these glimpses of awakening these glimpses of freedom of space and it's it's uh, a deepening appreciation for something that's so simple which is to relax I mean more than anything what defines us as human beings is this uh, kind of existential restlessness we are fundamentally restless creatures not just us I mean generally this is the characteristic of the animal kingdom you know restlessly looking for mates looking for food looking for shelter looking for for safety from our predators and things that we imagine will hurt us 
and uh, that that experience of you know the hungry hunted animal that will continue as long as we look out those eyes the lens of self-centeredness that's how it will appear and then we see the world in a particular way we see danger we see what we like and we get attracted we want it we see danger we want to get away from it and it propels that hungry hunted animal on and on so that that insight that the Buddha points to doesn't deny the existence of the hungry hunted animal but what it does is it it it's an insight it's a way of being or seeing where the hungry hunted animal isn't seen as self it's seen there's no center it has no ground it's just all activity happening so it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the world isn't a messy place or my life isn't a messy place or my conditioning isn't messy my personality isn't messy that I I don't have desire and I don't have fear it just means that that fear and desire is understood for what it is they're just natural conditioned phenomena things that have been set in motion due to causes and conditions so they have some momentum and we can trust them to be what they are without making them more than what they are just conditioned phenomena coming and going then what we begin to notice is that the uh, trusting this space trusting the non-constructed state of mind state of heart we begin to recognize that as love I mean that's the kind of attached love that we <laughs> we listen to when we listen to popular music you know the angst of loving and wanting to be loved and all of that but there's a kind of natural intimacy which is really the background it's the background of the heart when it's not constricted in self-centeredness there's a natural effortless intimacy and it's available now I mean it's not like you got to wait oh, when I get home I want to check this out <laughs> we can just check it out right now like we're the, the thing is this is something we're always intuiting but it's these more I guess you could say universal experiences they're so present and and they're not gross they're subtle that they're in a sense under the radar screen we're only used to paying attention to things that have uh, kind of an ego charge and everything else is sort of there but we're just not in the habit of noticing so we don't notice that you know it sounds corny to say but that background of love or that background of intimacy or that background of of um, wholeness fullness ease bliss God divine you know there's so many different ways people have called it and it just seems to be the cause for a lot of arguments and war but the idea you know the practice is to develop the heart or mind so that this background this sort of ever-present truth begins to break through or creep through the conditioned habits the self-centered habits of the mind when we when we uh, stop watering the self-centered habits of greed and aversion and distractedness then it's like the truth inevitably leaks through creeps through it just becomes apparent it's not like the thunderbolt comes from heaven and strikes us it's already here the Buddha has this a very famous phrase something that kind of a cornerstone of his teachings which is the heart or the mind is naturally radiant and pure but it's it's temporarily obscured by these visiting defilements by the conditioning of our personality the conditioning of our mind 
all of our dramas. There, our dramas are so, you know, compelling and intoxicating, and we're literally intoxicated with our drama until we get bored with it, or it's so afflictive the drama that we go immediately from one drama to another drama. Like, I got to get rid of these dramas, you know. And then we start having drama about how, you know, I'm, I need a new therapist or whatever. How am I going to get rid of being, you know, caught in these dramas? And it just goes on and on like this. And, and one of the real tragedies it, uh, tragedies are that when we do rest, in those moments where we are resting, feeling whole, relatively speaking, feeling at ease, not a lot of self-centered drama. What tends to happen is we stop uh, being vigilant, aware, and so the personality manifests, and because we're feeling whole and full and alive, it's like permission for all of our self-centered dramas. Well, maybe I can act them out. Maybe I can have it all. Maybe I can become the, the person I've always wanted to be. Maybe it's not too late. I heard a, just a little bit of, of the news. Must have been... Uh, Sunday edition or whatever they call that NPR news program in the morning. Um, but somebody was interviewing somebody in England who just had this thought, well, can just anybody become an Olympic athlete? So she's like 29 and she's never done any sort of serious sports. And so she decided to get a trainer and to, I guess she found what she thinks is the sport that will be easiest to qualify for the Olympic team on, I think pentathlon or something like that. And she's going to see if she's going to do it. But the, this, is, uh, this is what happens when we start feeling at ease and we don't understand what's happening. Is we take the ease, we take the wholeness personally. And it's like we feel a bit of a sort of utopian mark manifesting, like I can have it all. And, uh, and then we're we're even more trouble. <laughs> At least when we're helpless, we don't make messes. But then you get people like Napoleon and you know so many others who who basically you know want to be God in one way or another. Whether it's God within your own little uh, family unit, or God of the universe, or God of the country, or you know whatever God-like existence that we want. And then of course we get burnt eventually. And then we kind of crash into some other kind of self-centered drama. You know, like I had it all and I lost it. <laughs> people, I'm, I haven't, but people have been talking about the Nixon-Frost interview that's out now in the theaters, a movie based on. I always thought it was sort of funny having a movie where they actually have the original tape. <laughs> Why would you make a movie out of it? But evidently it's really good. <laughs> But, but just the, you know, the tragedy of somebody working so hard to reconstitute himself after having humiliated himself in such a way. And uh, this is basically the cycle that we're all on, where the kind of grandiosity and then the, hum uh, the humiliation, you know, and then sort of building ourselves up. And we keep missing the, the one thing that could help remove us from this, this sort of endless cycle of suffering, which is, it's all impersonal. That, that there's a way with wisdom that we can see the ups and downs, be intimate with the ups and downs without attaching, identifying, without needing to destroy or control the ups and downs. And that's the, that's the real key, is to not want to like when on the upside, we really want to take control because we feel like life is workable. And on the downside, you know, we want to destroy it. But it, both are a way of indulging in the drama. So resting, once we start having a sense that there is, there is this refuge, whether you call it the Buddha or whatever you want to call it, that there is this refuge, that this refuge is here and now, but this refuge is unsustainable, right? Even if we have a despicable thought, 
the despicable thought doesn't stain this refuge in any way because that thought is just a thought that comes and goes then our practice part of our practice this fifth part of practice is learning to trust that learning to trust the relaxation learning to trust the sense of space or stillness so this can even manifest very you know ordinary ways in our sitting meditation practice so sometimes when we're sitting instead of feeling like I have to come back to the breath I have to be with the breath in the present moment connect and sustain even though that instruction is so important at times other times we don't want to identify with that instruction we want to just practice relaxing relaxing into the space of the present moment trusting and what we're trusting is the groundlessness of the present moment meaning everything's changing in the present moment thoughts are coming and going sensations are coming and going sounds are coming and going there really isn't any solid ground it's all this flow of experience and so that's what we're trusting in a way we're, we're learning how to free fall we're learning how uh, we're learning that the mind doesn't need to fixate on any of the particular conditions that are arising in the moment and kind of cock a sense of self that's having this experience but it can be just this freefall of things being known never static never kind of ending stopping anywhere so more than anything at in these moments when we're practicing over here it's really trust and resting and relaxation now if that's the only instruction we we would give somebody somebody you know a, a center like this would give someone it wouldn't be very useful because most of the time getting the instruction to just trust would mean we're just going to trust our neurotic tendencies and act them out and we just keep getting the same all same all so this instruction to rest to trust to relax to let things be arises when we know this refuge when we had when we've noticed space or we have had glimpses of this inherent freedom that's here then we then we can let go of this eye making and mind making as the buddha says you know the buddha has this very beautiful summation of his teachings the supreme liberation has been discovered by the tathagata which is the word he used to refer to himself namely liberation through not clinging or summarizing his teaching as not clinging to i me or mine if you understand this you understand everything if you know this teaching you know all the teachings if you practice this teaching not clinging to I, me or mine you're practicing all the teachings and if you realize the truth of this teaching you've realized everything there is to realize not clinging to I, me or mine that's a paraphrase of the, another talk the buddha gave so i'll leave it here so we have plenty of time tonight to hear from people both questions you might have about the talk tonight but also experiences even very ordinary experiences in your life where you had some intuition of it's all okay or the space and then moments when you when maybe you had the wherewithal to trust this to relax with this to not need to build a monument to it or tell your friend about it but just to let the freedom be the freedom that it is that you'd like to share with the group or things you've noticed that get in the way it's also good to hear about that too so what comes to mind yeah Gabe. um what you were talking about about kind of the up and down swing sounded really familiar to me probably to a lot of people um, and one thing that i just um have to share was that how i think it's even more liberating to see the the um, unsatisfactoriness of the up swing which i think you mentioned a little too because yeah i mean we 
Yeah, and how, because when, when you're on the downswing, whatever that is, um, like, your life situation seems to be the problem um, for me, um, then you're always imagining that the upswing is everything. And then it's really clear and really a lot more constrained. But then when you're on the upswing, you know, um, like for me, I think it would be, the upswing for me would be, you know, feeling like, um, like my social situation, just being liked by a lot of people, having a lot of friends. But even that, and it's, uh, it is the meta sometimes too for me, because it's like, even if I was the most successful, liked person in the world, and then I have like a moment where I see that, that ego there, and then there's someone in front of me, um, and that would be a lot more beneficial to myself and feel a lot better to just care about them. And sometimes I actually do in that moment care about them, and to do that, then I have to let go of that upswing of being great. So mm -hmm. I do think it's a lot um, more liberating on the upswing to us, because then, yeah, it becomes a lot clearer what's, yeah. what's actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those deep teachings in what you said, Gabe. And just to kind of bring it home, like, you know, the next time we fall in love or the next time something really exciting happens to us, to have that simple clarity, you know, that understands what joy is like this. It's just joy, and it's like this that we don't need to concoct a somebody who is having the joy. It can just be joy, just happiness, without the froth. And what that does, the reason it's so liberating, as Gabe was pointing to, is it undermines the, the real driving force, the, the, the neurotic, the driving neurotic force in our lives, which is always seeking onward toward that next upswing. And uh, that is so prevalent and exhausting because because of our imaginations, we can always imagine something bigger and better. And so we're, contentment never arises. So to, to undermine that enchantment, the enchantment of joy, the enchantment of success, the enchantment of happiness, to sort of see through that and not to take it personally relieves the heart in a profound way. We can we can only imagine what a relief, what a release that is. Not to need joy. Not to be attached to joy. It's much more profound joy. <laughs> of course if you seek that <laughs> back in the game. Other thoughts people have? Yeah, Brent, nice to see you back. Um, <clears throat> I was just in retreat in Dharamsala for the, about a month ago, three weeks, and we did a course on emptiness. And it was really a profound thing to kind of put into practice, not relating to the I, me, or mine. And then to relate with that, I also coming for myself, like right now I'm nervous and I feel the anxiety of speaking that's arising but in, but I know that that's not me like uh, it's just dependently arising on this moment of feeling being in front of a group but not always clinging to that's who I am yeah. so and then realizing that in other situations I don't need to be that person even now coming out you can you can see the shakiness, the voice. Um, but that's not me. And that's really a profound thing that I realized. And then also, um, also just meeting someone, meeting someone for the first time, the first impression, um, that that's to not completely judge someone off the first impression because they're always changing. And who they could be the second time I meet someone yeah. or the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your practice. Yeah, Brent was just uh, in India. Did you go to Nepal too? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and so and the, the interesting thing about, as you've described so well, like when we're in that moment and there is some nervousness arising, we can have that recognition, that very wise recognition that there's nervousness and it's not self. But, but the, the real art is there's nervousness, it's not self. So we don't need to get rid of the nervousness, right? Because you would think, well, it's not self, it shouldn't be here. But we don't have to go there, because that's self. Like, trying to manipulate, trying to define how the moment should be is a self-centered activity. So this is like uh, why there's so much freedom in this practice is that it allows the personality to be the way it is. It's not this path of perfection, like we're all working hard to make each of our personalities perfect. You know, no nervousness, no this, no that which would real, you know, that would be even more torturous than the lives we're already living. Or maybe it's like the life we're already living. So that's not the path. The path is to understand that it's not self, to see that directly, that it's not self, which means that it's not a problem how the personality's manifesting. It doesn't mean that we're being perfectly skillful all the time. It just means that whatever unskillfulness or skillfulness is arising is natural. And being aware means that there's a natural feedback mechanism operating. So if the personality, the conditioning that's arising in this moment is really unskillful and I get a lot of negative consequences from that unskillful habit energy that's coming up, then I'll be aware of all that negative, all those negative consequences. And that will naturally change the behavior. It will change the conditioning. Experiencing negative consequences changes behavior. All of you who are parents, you know this. Those of us who have been teachers, if we don't know this, we haven't survived as teachers. We need to understand that human beings, not just human beings, animals learn best when they experience the natural consequences. People are upset about the whole financial mess because they think that the bankers and the stockholders of the banks should experience a natural consequence of being unskillful. And uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of the things, but I understand that point of view. Like, well, yeah, if there are natural consequences, it might be a while before people do something that's stupid again. But if there aren't natural consequences, maybe things will just happen over again. And this is true. It's like understanding that that as when we see how wonderful this wisdom is, how liberating it is, we can get grabby. Like, I really want to get this wisdom. But what we do is we mistrust how natural it is. We need to let the arising of wisdom, the development of wisdom, also be a natural thing and not make it a personal quest to become enlightened. Isn't that funny? Because, of course, that's how we get involved in the practice. It's like, I know my life is screwed up. That's all I know, and it's a lot of wisdom to know that our lives that are conditioning our habit energies are conducive to suffering. And so we begin with this quest, like, I want happiness. I want some relief. But as we progress, as we stick to it, we, we realize that that notion itself has to be let go of. Even though it was useful initially, at some point it has, it's more problematic than it is useful. So we have to let go of the notion that I'm a deluded human being that seeks freedom. It's too gross, it's too simplistic of a notion. So we let go. And what we begin to realize is that the whole path is doing itself. And so more of what we're doing is trusting. And that's again brings us right back to what we've been talking about tonight. Trusting the refuge of wholeness or space or emptiness, whatever you want to call it. There's still more time. If other people have some thoughts you'd like to share or questions. Yeah. Julian. You know, Brent, your your tone of voice was really full of love and openness. And one of the practices that I am trying to use to kind of embrace others when I'm annoyed with them <laughs> is, is to listen to their tone of voice. Because in it, you can see or feel it, and you can use your intuition to, to feel the sadness or the fear, or the anger, and relate to them at a human, a deep level that draws your compassion. Yeah. Um, 
I often do this in Dharma talks too. I have some more dear friends voice than what you say sometimes. But in it, I mean, there's just this human connection, and it's a real practical practice to bring to meetings or, you know, relationships, and particularly when we're on that edge of, of the eye coming up and getting agitated, to just flip it, listen to the tone of voice, bring it to a feeling level, and, and just kind of go from there. Yeah. So, just listening to you and your honesty about that, but just your voice kind of brought that to mind. That's a great teaching. Thanks, Julian. Other thoughts people have? Yeah, Cindy. I had a pretty clear experience yesterday meditating that things were just perfect the way that they were. And um, it just seemed really clear um, like that was reality. I have a sometimes a meditation with them when I come out of meditation and have things to do with it crackles and you know, falls over quickly and, and it didn't. Um, and then I had you know, just not anything to be really happy about and, and they were just the way that they were. You know, that there was bread and I could have toast and you know, I didn't have a bike or you know, a lot of lovely simple things. And then um, whenever there was eye making it was derail, of course. And it lasted a you know good couple of hours until I got a really strong worry thought. A strong what? Worry thought. Yeah. Did you say a strong worry thought? Worry thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just gave up? <laughs> You're not flipped out now, though. What happened? Um, <laughs> it ended, I guess. Yeah, it ended. That's where it's okay to be. This is, this is a, the reason I, I kind of shit about it because, I mean, just so many times in my own practice, in the past and present, you know, like having that kind of experience where the, the kind of faith or confidence in that relaxation, in that trust, for whatever reason, gets derailed. And then the interesting thing I notice is how um, I don't, it doesn't catch me too much now for long, but I, I still feel that force of doubt, like I can't be free because, you know, and then my mind points to whatever it is that's <laughs> obsessing me or, or that I'm somewhat attached or very attached to. And it's like, it's like, you know, we kind of present the evidence. Well, you know, yeah. I am a screwed up human being or my life is messed up or this problem does need to be addressed or this isn't okay. And, uh, and it's like, it's really a battle of refuges. Like, am I taking refuge in the sort of problem solver who's got to get everything done right before I can relax? Or am I taking refuge in relaxation no matter the mess? So what, what do we trust more? Do we trust the problem solver? I mean, for some of us, we have three competing forces. Do we trust the helpless victim? Do we trust the, you know, problem solver? You know, like, uh, I can do it, I can control my destiny, I can make it right. Or do we trust trust or letting go? And it's just like, it's interesting because when I, when I can think about it in that level, then I know what I trust. And then I get, then I'm usually right back in that icy couch that I mentioned where there's something arising in my mind or my life that's very conducive to self-centered thinking. But I know enough, uh, I have enough composure, enough sense of presence not to immediately indulge in it and not to immediately want to destroy it or fix it. And I'm just there being pushed and pulled my heart constricted by what's arisen, but knowing enough not to make it worse by identifying with any of it, but not free either. And there's a lot of our lives, I think, people who've been practicing for a long time, like you have, Cindy, there's a lot of our lives where that's where we're at. And so the, the real practice at that moment isn't being free. The practice is uh, manifesting faith, confidence to endure 
which feels unendurable because any reactivity just makes it worse. Any attempt to deny, to distract yourself, to try to fix it just makes it worse. So we're willing to just hang out there uh, until there's enough clarity that we see it's all impersonal again. And then the whole facade of being a suffering being can fall apart very quickly in just a moment. But we can't make that happen. You know, the conditions of clarity have to come together so that that happens. Patience. That's why patience is such a big part of practice. Maybe time for one more short comment or question, if anybody else. Yeah, Stacy. I've been very surprised in the last couple of weeks for people that unsolicited tell me that they see something different about me. <laughs> I'm really amazed by that. Because I haven't been running around talking to mm-hmm. people about um, I'm doing learning or anything. Yeah. It's nice to it's nice to reflect back on without being able to not always being able to name it, but just to have a sense that there's something different. Um, One phrase I like is the creeping spaciousness. It's like it kind of creeps up on us, and it changes us very slowly, usually. And, uh, but you can't really point to it, because it's more about what's not there than what's there. You know, there's just something missing, maybe some kind of neurotic tendency or holding that used to be more there that's not as much there, you know? And we do, people do recognize it, but they might think, well, did she get a haircut? Did she get a new outfit? Uh, she's been in the sun. But, but it's not bad, it's something else. But we you know, we, our minds want to kind of pin it down to something. Maybe we'll leave it here. Let's just take a moment and let go of the words. It's always nice to, Take a few seconds in silence together. Without needing to fix the experience that's happening here. Trusting letting things be, and then taking a moment, remembering our deepest aspiration for this life here. Why not aspire to the deepest release of the heart, the deepest freedom, this unconditional love and compassion, sensitivity, wakefulness, why not? May this heart awaken to wisdom and compassion. May our lives be the causes for happiness and peace in the world and for freedom from suffering in all directions. May we all be at ease. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.